Today is September 11th, you're listening. We're recording on September 10th. The Yankees just beat up on the Tigers. It was sloppy. They emptied the bench. The game hasn't happened yet. This is Jakey <laughs> Nostradamus coming out. We are doing sharp stats. It's back. Uh, KT was actually out uh, in my parts of the country doing some life stuff. Maybe we'll talk about that a little bit. Maybe we won't. Well, we will talk about, which a lot of these are KT-driven, and and we like them a lot. We're going to touch up. I think we're going to keep on rolling with the home field advantage, strength of schedule, in comparison to ourselves in Houston the rest of the way. We are currently tied with them. I think the big topic is going to be a little bit of Voight Edwin and what's been going on with those guys since they've returned from the aisle. And I think we're just going to have that convo, the the six guys for five spots. Uh, we'll have Katie breaking up, me and John bickering back and forth. And then a topic that we're really excited for, we've actually been pushing this off, waiting for the right time to do it. And it's about some of the Yankees righty-lefty splits. I am joined by, of course, you know the John Boy, and of course, you know the queen of stats herself, Katie Sharp. Katie, let's go to you, girl. How you doing? Yeah, I'm doing great, Jake. Um, I, uh, as uh, many people might know, I, I just got back from a quick trip to the Colorado Rocky Mountains, uh, the Denver area, so didn't actually get to meet up with Jake, which was unfortunate. Because uh, we were just so busy, uh, you know, looking for apartments, looking for places to hang out and stuff and kind of getting a lay of the land. Um, it was successful. So, uh, yeah, really, really excited. Um, if people don't know, um, my husband and I, we are moving out west, uh, back where we met. Um, we actually met in Utah, but back out west, where we met, where we fell in love. Um, and hopefully uh, he'll have another great, another, another great run there. Um, so, so yeah, I'm, uh, I'm, I'm excited. I don't know why, but, uh, last, last couple weeks of the season, um, everything is looking good. We're rolling. Um, life is, life is good. I don't know. Well, Katie, I'd, I'd be happy for you, but like you opened up with, we did not rendezvous. So we are currently fighting. Jimmy, how are you doing? When she said it was unfortunate, she, she meant it was unfortunate for you. That was my first time seeing Katie lie. And is fortunate just, for her and her husband. Just didn't want to hang out with me. It's fortunate for her and her husband. <laughs> Unfortunate for you, Jake. That's what that's oh. what Katie. That's what Katie meant. I read through it. <laughs> it's it's going to exactly, be exactly. You read out. my mind. Yeah, <laughs> that's exciting. It sounds like all three of us have crazy September's, and hopefully, it can all come to um, a calm right before October, because I am. Uh, I'm ready for October, Katie. I'm, I'm not ready. That's I just lied. I'm not ready. Yeah. For the emotions. I'm not that ready come with for October. October yet either. I I think I said like two weeks ago when we looked at when we talked, Katie. I said like I looked at the end of the schedule and how sad it got me that there's so many little games left. There are so few games left. I think there's six more series. Um, mm hmm. But I'm gearing up, and we had some stuff that I know we've been pushing on previous episodes because we wanted to get closer to playoffs. Katie's got some really fun, good stats coming up uh, on this show, so I am excited to dive into them a little bit. Yeah, and on, on a semi-serious note, Katie, we're, we're obviously stoked for you. I know uh, we, we got to circle up on talking Huskies a little bit, but talking Huskies because it was through the winter usually started with me and Katie's ski report from the weekend. Katie would be like, oh, yeah, I headed up to Vermont. I got on the mountain for a day. So I know uh, when, when you guys are out here, you're going to be a part of that ski bum life going on out here. Yeah, maybe maybe we'll get to do the report together from the mountain. Oh, oh wow. What? Whoa. With, um, you know, with the snow in the background. Noodle. Yeah, have to run that past Noodle, and we'll. Uh, but yeah, I'm I'm down for that, Kate. Um, Kate, speaking of, and you know, for we we like to peel the curtain back, as as John likes to say. Um, you usually come to us with some ideas, we sort it out, and then we we run it. And uh, <laughs> you you have you normally way too many good ideas for us. The first one that you it was a follow up to your original 
was kind of keeping an update going with the home field advantage. And I, I don't think we have to deep dive on it too, too much, but just kind of know, like, what's the strength of schedule? Where are we at? Because uh, let's be honest. I mean, like, like we've been saying, you know, health is number one, and we'll talk about that a little bit. But the home field advantage would be pretty nice, especially our splits at home. Houston splits at home are insane. Um, so where, where are we at on that, Katie? All right. Um, so right now as we're taping this, it's, it's Tuesday before the game. Um, we are currently tied, as people know, we're currently p- tied with the Astros for the best record in baseball, which also means the best record in the AL. Um, and the Dodgers are uh, about two games, two games behind. So I think, you know, the focus now is almost starting to shift to just the Astros. Um, I think with the Dodgers, it's, it's kind of a crapshoot there with their, you know, what they're going to do with their schedule. Um, but also the, you know, that's looking way far ahead to the, to the world series. So I think the Astros obviously is the main target for us. Um, and the, the strength of schedule ratings that I like to use are on fan graphs. And what they do is they use projections, um, for the rest of the season for, and they drill down to the player level and then kind of build up to the team level. Um, and so it's, it's pretty self-explanatory, but the Yankees actually have the easiest, uh, projected schedule, um, really? between the, between the Astros and, uh, and the Yankees. So they have an easier one, than the Astros, they also have an easier one than the Dodgers, but um, wait, it's a wait. little bit easier than, than the Astros. This is and, confusing uh, me because, all right. So a, when you said there's like a strength of schedule, statistic or whatever i was like oh yeah okay jake and i have been doing talking baseball every other day and just kind of doing that by our brain test i thought jake didn't we think the astros had an easier schedule well i'll I'll pass it off to katie i know i i haven't looked at the actual strength of schedule numbers in a while i know when i did it was because cleveland and minnesota were starting to get tight and minnesota had by far the easiest schedule the rest of the way um, but no, in comparison to Houston and the Dodgers, I, I have no idea. So but I know playing playing Detroit right now yeah, must be huge, and the basically, Blue Jays. But Jake, it's, yeah, okay. Well, let me just I'll do it real quick. Yankees, Detroit, Toronto, Los Angeles, Toronto, Tampa Bay, Texas. It's not great, right? But like Houston, Oakland, Kansas City, Texas, Los Angeles, or Anaheim. Seattle, Anaheim. I guess those. It's really those three against Oakland. They have three against Oakland. We have two against Tampa Bay. Yeah, it's that's pretty much what it is. And uh, I mean, what what Fangraphs does is they basically they use the player projections and they simulate the rest of the season, the games. So using those projections for the players, oh wow, player level, and figure out what the winning percentage um, would be for for each team. Um, with their remaining schedule based on that, you know, they basically play out like, you know, 110,000 or whatever computer simulations of each game. So that's how they do it. Um, Can I interject uh, for one second? Uh, Just, I want to, I don't know if you have this in front of you. If you don't, it's no problem. Do you have the twins? Because per my brain, the twins have the easiest remaining schedule going out of any contending team. So I want to see exactly true. Okay, yeah. it adds up. Okay, I trust it. I trust yep. it. The Yankees are right behind them, though. I mean, well, ahead, whatever, you know, right? Yeah. They're right below them. So I'm trying to see who the Dodgers play. I mean, they have the Mets on their schedule. I guess those they're counting the Mets as tougher. They have the Mets and the Rays. Um, mm-hmm. And I think the Mets are tougher, um, and they are going to be probably playing for something because that's that's a series that's coming up. Is it, if it's not this week, it's next week. Yeah. Um, so they're still going to be playing for something. I mean, the Yankees really don't have much. I mean, the only team that's really playing for anything is is the Rays. Um, and uh, and with Houston, I mean, you you look at all the they they end theirs. You know, they end with the you know the Angels and and the Mariners. So two teams that are that are in their division and that maybe know them a little bit more, might have a little bit more incentive, um, you know, to, to play spoiler. I don't know. I mean, that's not factored into the, the fan graphs, the fan graphs um, remaining strength of schedule projections, but it is something to think about. Um, so, 
essentially, I think, you know, I think, I think that Houston's and the Yankees schedules are pretty comparable. Um, just kind of eyeballing stuff. Yeah. They're pretty uh, similar. So, so they have, it's they have nothing Oakland. to get too worked up at, but yeah. And they, uh, and I mean, they, what they did to Mike fires last night, um, on, <laughs> I don't know. I'd say unbelievable, but unfortunately it is believable. Cause that's, uh, it happened the game before too. So <laughs> that's, uh, that's how good that offense is. So yeah, I think, yeah. I think what is interesting and I know Jimmy mentioned talking baseball before, but it is, it, it really is funny. Cause normally we don't think about the schedule a lot, but like I I'm just off the top of my head. I'm thinking about like the Phillies. I think the Phillies finish out with like five playoff teams or something like that or borderline playoff teams. Yeah. They um, had a, they had a tough rest away. So I, it, you get it. No, I'm, this is I'm derailing the conversation. Okay. But this is an analytics I, show, and I just want to say, <laughs> analytically speaking, uh, Fires was tipping his pitches. Oh. Uh, I haven't watched a single second of that game, but there's no <laughs> way that Astros a, did what they did and hit like, it was like six home runs was in the first two innings without him tipping his pitches. And the Paxton tipped his pitches when they went to Houston, and they crushed Paxton, and that's not indicative wow. of their performance. It's indicative of Mike Fires tipping pitches. No base, no knowledge. Just I'm very confident. Rumor yeah. mill John boy. I think the most interesting thing that I think about the schedules is that all three teams end with uh, extended road trips. So two city road trips to end the season. Um, so that's going to be really interesting, I think. Um, and the Astros, they get to play Mike Trout in their final four games. So, as we mentioned, I think, you know, a couple couple shows ago, we are all Mike Trout fans and Shohei Itani. So get those Japanese flags out and, uh, you know, whatever, you know, root for, root for New Jersey. Um, but uh, I think it's going to be uh, – it's going to be interesting. Yeah, that's uh, – it, it's funny how they each – each team plays one good team, and then it's kind of a a pile of bleh. So you you wonder, and I know we're we're clearly not rolling out an A lineup tonight. And Jimmy and I just talked about this on the pregame show. Um, but you know, like if they get clipped one of these games in Detroit, it it's not the end of the world. But it it is going to be funny looking back with Houston and the Yankees with the exact same record right now, and both of these with kind of these bleh schedules going forward. I mean, you could look at one ridiculous, silly loss that could be the difference between home field advantage and the ALCS. That's nuts. Yeah, and especially since we did lose the season series to the Astros, so that's and that's the tiebreaker. So if we do end up with the same record as the Astros, you know, that that's going to be really unfortunate. Yeah, and Jim? we lost that on a punt day. The Astros won. They they uh, they swept us when things were bad, uh, and then then they they came to New York and we won the first two, and then like completely punted the last last game, if I'm remembering correctly, which I usually do. Yeah. So that's a bummer. That if it comes down to that, let's win. Let's win. And it's, let's just it's, keep winning. Keep winning sounds good, and yeah, I mean, those games in Houston, if you remember, that was some of the early Clint fly ball games, and it's it's funny how some little stuff like that can come back and potentially have a big deciding piece in this season. But um, I don't know. Overall, I, I think there's a lot of good news there. It, it seems like the Yankees somewhat control their own destiny. If they, if they want to win and go get this, they can. Um, while trying to mix in a healthy dose of rest, I mean, that's going to be the interesting part of it. Um, Katie, we've had a couple big fellas return to the Yankees lineup recently. Um, Edwin and his wrist injury, which he did two, <laughs> two minor league games and said, you know what, I'm good. Let, <laughs> let me play. Uh, Voight went through his whole hernia thing. He's been back for a little bit now. He hasn't exactly looked like Luke Voight yet. Um, we're starting to see some signs. Um, Katie and I think let's let's start with them, and that that'll kind of lead into the fun infield convo if we, if we want to kind of go off off the ledge a little bit with it. But where where do you want to start with Voight? I know he was 
He's he's had some struggles. He hasn't exactly looked like that Luke Voigt. And I know, like, Jim and I had a good laugh the other day. He's batting eight hole, and this was a guy that was, like, a mainstay in the two hole pretty much when Judge was out. So what's uh, I, I guess I'll I'll trick you into starting with Voigt if that's the plan. Um, it, it's, it's not hard to trick me into doing that. Uh, but, um, but yeah, I think when I, when I'm, I've been looking at some of the numbers with Voight and I want to go back to when he first came off the IL. Um, that was back in July. It was a, it was a two week stint. I think he did, um, you know, following when he got hurt during the London series, he came back. Um, he really didn't look like himself at that point either. Went on the IL again, came back, and he hasn't really looked like himself again, although he has been trending up the last couple days as we talk. On Tuesday, on Monday, he had a pretty good game, had a couple hard-hit balls, um, a couple hits. Um, But overall, you know, I like to look at larger samples. So overall, looking at the sample size, um, looking at the sample since he came off the IL in July, the numbers just don't – the numbers are pretty bad. Um, and, uh, what I want to make one caveat is that he has been getting on base. So his on base percentage is pretty comparable to what he was doing earlier in the season, but where you really see the difference is in the slugging percentage and the strikeouts slugging percentage down strikeouts up. And I'm just going to give you some numbers just to put this into context. So what I did is I split up what he did, um, Leading up to his first IL stint, that was uh, through, I think, June 30th. Um, and then since his since coming back um, from that first IL stint on July 13th. Um, so since July 13th, his triple slash line is 261, 369, so that's a good OBP, and 386 for a slugging. That's terrible. Um, he's got two homers and uh, seven extra base hits and about 100 plate appearances. Um, he does have a, a, a really good walk rate, about 13%, but his strikeout rate is 36%. And so just to put that into context, before he went on that IL, before he hurt himself, he was slashing 280, 393, so again, a high OBP, 503 slugging um, with a 14% walk rate, so about the same walk rate, and his strikeout rate was only 26%. So that's an increase of about 10 percentage points for his strikeout rate and more than a 100-point drop in his slugging. And to me, those are the two big things that really concern me. Um, and first of all, with that, that plate discipline, those strikeouts, his approach has changed. And that's, that's another concerning thing for me. Um, I think if you remember when we had an episode, I don't remember, a couple months ago, earlier in the season, when we talked about um, how he is sort of the god of the strike zone. He is the best controller of the strike zone on the team in that he's very good at swinging at strikes and very good at not swinging at balls. And we compared uh, his in-zone swing percentage to his out-of-zone swing percentage um, and the difference between those. And it was, about, uh, it was about 53% at that point, which was the best in baseball. So basically, he's doing the best things. He's not swinging at balls, and he's swinging at strikes. Um, since July 13th, that's completely gone in the opposite direction. It's now about 40% the difference between those two marks, um, which is basically just league average. So he's not doing anything special with that. He's uh, swinging more out of the zone, and more significantly, I think, in my, in my mind, is that he's swinging less in the zone. So about an 8 percentage point drop in his in-zone swing percentage. Um, so basically becoming really passive. And where you see it most is with two strikes. And I think this is what frustrates people a lot, what they've seen with Luke Voigt since coming off the IL, is he just he's not swinging with two strikes, and he's not swinging at the strikes that pitchers are giving him. Um, this is kind of the most astounding st- stat for me, is that uh, earlier in the season, before he went on the IL, he swung at 90% of pitches with two strikes that were in the, in the strike zone, right? That's pretty That's high. Good. That's what you... That's that's really good. I mean, pretty high. And, you know, he's such a I mean, he's got such a good eye that he's going to probably make contact and he's good chance of him not striking. That's a good good way for him not to strike out. Uh, since coming off the IL on July 13th, since then, it's only it's dropped to 71%. Um, Damn. which is, you know, almost 20% or almost a 20% drop. Uh, 20% point 
20 percentage points. And his rate of strikeouts looking has nearly doubled. And that's, I think, what you really see um, with him is that he's become passive. And he's just, he's become, I don't know if it's, you know, he's just still trying to find the strike zone. I mean, it has been getting better a little bit um, recently. Um, but but that's that's a concern for me because he was once the best at figuring out what were strikes and what were balls. And now he's just basically league average. I wonder if we saw Judge go through this when he came back from injury and it was like, listen, the umps are bad. Maybe we can't trust them that much anymore. You just, I mean, I know you don't want to expand your zone because you think, hey, I can't hit that ball, so why should I swing at it? And, you know, the odds of the ump just calling it correctly are better than trying to hit it and grounding out or whatever. But we saw Judge, I forget the stats, but I think he made an active change in his aggressiveness. Like his walks, Judge's walks, mm-hmm. since that Cleveland series, when... um well, in my brain, that's when I noticed that he had a much different uh, approach. Judge has six walks in those 22 games, which I think oh, is wow. down for him, like a lot yeah. down for him. That's oh, down yeah. a lot. A lot because Judge said, fuck this. I'm just got to swing. And he's been attacking earlier. He's like we saw like three two pitches. We saw Judge swing at that high fastball and put it in play more. And maybe that's kind of what Voight has to do here where he says like, I'm the boss of this at bat, not the ump, because I can't trust you anymore. So I know that Judge, uh, you know, he's been much more aggressive. The walks are way down. That's like six walks in 22 games is really nothing for Judge. Yeah. Um, And Judge doesn't have a single game in his last um, 24 with multiple walks. And I mean, before that, he had a lot of those. Yeah, I mean, I think that that is a str- that is something that I think Voight could look to do. I mean, you like to see the the walk rate is good, and that's basically the only thing that's propping up his on base percentage at this point. Um, and, and and you want to see him get on base, you want to see him have that confidence. But I think that he really needs. I mean, you he miss you miss the power, you miss mm-hmm. those game changing. I mean, Luke Voight is strong. I mean, <laughs> there's really no debate about that. I think that's a Huge understatement, um, and I think he's he's the type of he's just as strong as Aaron Judge, and when you have that strength, when you have that ability to just kind of poke the ball, use your use your legs, use your arms to uh, to make a game changing hit, um, you have to take advantage of that, and that's that's kind of what my second point is that I really that I want to dive into right now is looking at just where has his power gone. Um, I told you about the uh, the more than 100-point drop in his slugging. And there's two things that I found which I think are really significant. Uh, the first one is Voight really gets most of his power just basically for his entire career since he's been with the Yankees. He gets a lot of his power on those inside pitches, his ability to kind of turn on those middle in, those inside pitches. Um, and so before he went on the, a- the IL, this, this number was astounding. He had a slugging percentage of 788 on inside pitches. So these are in the zone inside pitches. So really just like, bam, the heart of the, right in his, uh, right in his, um, you know, his wheelhouse right there. 788, that's incredibly good. The league average there is about 486. So, and that's been true his entire career. He's, he's always been able to crush those pitches. Mm. Um, since coming off the IL, those slugging percentage on those same inside pitches is 263. He has two doubles, one single, um, and about 20 at-bats. It's, it's very small sample size. And eight strikeouts. Seven of those looking. And that is what we have seen. We have seen him jump back from the plate, you know, on yeah. those inside pitches. And those pitches are still on the plate. They're in the zone, and they're getting called strikes. And he is not doing what he normally does, which is use his arms to put those things over the fence or, you know, in the gap or whatever. Um, so that to me is a real si- that that's that's a real bad sign for him um, okay. because he needs to go back to crushing those types of pitches. So in his last three games. He's got 
four hits, two doubles, RBI, 500 slugging. Is this yep. is his last games? Are are we moving in the right direction? Like if he has a, I think a we good are next, good next game. He has no looking strikeouts on those inside pitches since he came off the uh, the second time for the IL. Okay. So all of that was accumulated before when he went at the the first from that little first chunk when he came off the IL in July, um, and he does have one double um, on an inside pitch. Uh, I think it was on Monday. Um, since his second time coming off the IL. So there is some encouraging signs there, um, but he needs to keep doing that because that is where he, he is most dangerous, on those in, middle in, those inside pitches that he can just really turn on and just use his brute strength um, to get extra base hits. Um, Katie, I, I, I love that second part of it because at first I was pretty concerned because um, I – not not throwing John Boy under a bus, but uh, the the action item on the first part of that, where Jimmy's saying, "Hey, be more aggressive. You can't trust the umps. Go go attack. Go get the ball." That's a tough ask of a hitter because that's how you could find yourself in a slump too. If Luke Voigt is leaving what he's comfortable with, controlling the zone, taking pitches, and now he's being over aggressive, I mean that just starts the spin cycle in your head, and you start overthinking. Um, I mean, it's a good concept if it works, but it could also make things get get worse quickly, too. With what you said about the inside pitches there, for me, that's the call to action. Like, Luke, this is normally a strength of your game. I don't know if you need to get the hand started earlier, if you need to be looking middle in more or what that is, but that seems to be, like, if, if I was Marcus Timms and I was talking to Luke Voigt, that would be kind of the call to action, is figure out what we need to do to get on those balls on the inner half of the plate. Yeah, because when he is aggressive, like if he's going to be aggressive, those are the types of pitches that he needs to be aggressive against. Um, so, and I don't, I don't know if it's this is what I'm going to kind of get into next, but maybe he's still feeling some of the effects of the injury that the oblique doesn't allow him to maybe make that turn. Um, so that's some, that's kind of what I wanted to dive into next. It's a good segue there. Um, and I think that, you know, he, he has been looking a lot better um, in the last couple games in terms of what I'm about to say. But um, I think that the, he still may be feeling some of the effects of that oblique. And I'm just going to kind of point out why I think that. Um, so we mentioned his, the, the, the decline in his slugging. He's actually he's hitting a few more grounders and a few fewer fly balls and line drives. Um, than he was beforehand, about a five percentage point drop. Not too concerning. Um, but it's what's happening with those fly balls and those line drives that I really want to focus on. Um, so when, I'm, when I talk here next about these stats, I'm just looking at the fly balls and line drives that he hit. Um, so there is some good news. I want to start off with the good news here in that he actually has a higher hard hit percentage on those fly balls and line drives he has a higher sweet spot percentage, which is that stat that looks at like getting the most ideal launch angle um, when you hit those ball when you hit those uh, fly balls and line drives. And his pull percentage is up as well on fly balls and line drives. So he's doing a lot of good things, but for some reason, the average distance on those fly balls and line drives is down about 25 feet, which is pretty significant. Um, he was at 291 feet on a, an average uh, distance on his fly balls and line drives hits. And now it's at about 274. Um, so that's about a 25, 26 point, uh, 27 point difference. Um, so to me, that seems like something's just amiss with his, with his, um, with his swing path or, or something. Um, but the numbers are bearing out that he is hitting more hard pitch. You know, he's hitting pitches harder. Well, the you know the average uh, exit velocity is about the same, but he's hitting more of those 95 mile per hour plus um, uh, exit velocity hit uh, batted balls. He's getting a good angle on them. He's pulling them. So I don't know that that those numbers really confused me. Um, and one thing I will say. And so I, what I did is I was like, this, this doesn't make sense. And the reason why is that I looked at his expected stats 
on those fly balls and line drives, right? That's kind of what I always do when the numbers kind of don't match up. And I compared him to his actual. And, you know, that was that was sort of the linchpin there. Um, based on what he should have deserved with the fly balls and the, and the line drives that he hit, his expected slugging percentage on those should have been, you know, was about 1.137. His actual was was a 963. So that's a difference of about 174 points of slugging, which is pretty significant. So he has been getting, I don't know if you want to call it unlucky, um, but he probably deserved better results on the fly balls and line drives that he's hit so far. Um, so that's another explanation for kind of the drop in his slugging, I guess. He had um, some hard hit no outs ex- in, in Fe- at Fenway. Yeah, basically having some hard hit outs. Um, uh, so I think that there is a lot of optimism there in those numbers. Um, but but to me, you know, when you combine that, but then again, we do have some of the pessimism that I talked about earlier with the plate approach and the plate discipline numbers. So really, I don't know. It's sort of a mixed bag here with Voigt. All right. And we're worried because Edwin's doing so well and positions are limited, right? Yeah. And uh, Katie, yeah. the only thing that I, I wanted to throw in there uh, before we get to, to E squared is that the other thing that threw me off is you mentioned his kind of that post his initial IL stint stats. His BABIP, his batting average on balls in play, is actually pretty high. It's like 424 or something like that. So you're right. There really is, and I think it's funny. We we love doing this show because it's it's bringing a lot of the analytic stuff, and we try to translate it the best we can. But think of all the things we just put in the Luke Voigt box that he's still he's hitting balls kind of at a better rate. He's getting a much worse result, and yet, like, there's a lot of plus numbers and there's a lot of bad numbers too. So that's uh, I mean. That's what this analytics team for the Yankees and the coaches go through on a daily basis. That's that's crazy. Yeah, I'm sure they're trying to figure it out too, um, because he is such an important part of this team that they want him. They want to get him back to being Luke Voigt. Luke Voigt, you know. Luke, yeah, we heard heard a lot of that at Fenway this weekend. Uh, we also saw, and you don't hear this a lot, Katie, but there's a lot of parrots at Fenway this weekend. <laughs> and Edwin, the guy that some people think these two might be fighting for playing time if Luke Voigt doesn't get it going, I guess. Um, but Edwin's just like back in the best ever, or what? Do we need more analytics than that? Yeah, there's there's not really much I I want to say about Edwin. Just the fact that. People don't realize, I mean, he's been legitimately a very, very good top 15 player um, since the All-Star break. We know that he kind of had that weird, like, two or three week introduction to the Yankees where he got, like, you know, he had eight hits at one point and, like, six of them were home runs um, and the rest of his at-bats were, you know, strikeouts or walks or something. Um so he was going through this this weird slump at the beginning when he, you know, and it, it lasted through basically to the All-Star break. But since the All-Star break, he's played in 26 games and 117 plate appearances. He's hitting 324 with a 393 on base and a 610 slugging, um, which is fantastic. And what that translates out to is basically like the 15th best batting line out of about 300 guys with 100 plate appearances since the break. Um, so a top 15 player in the entire major leagues um, going all the way back to the all-star break. And so I think that, you know, and it, he had that interruption, obviously, with the IL stint, but he's been just as fantastic um, since coming back from that. He hasn't shown any, really hasn't shown any signs of rust. Um, so I think that that, you know, he absolutely deserves to get as much playing time as possible um, down the stretch. And I think that their best lineup, you know, has to include him. Um, and I think if, if people think that, you know, maybe he doesn't have any defensive value, well, that's why we have the DH. Um, and with, with Giancarlo Stanton now being coming back, and he's probably going to need to play the outfield um, because our situation is so dire in there, um, I think that it sets up for Edwin to be um, a really key, key contributor 
um, mostly as a DH and probably, you know, filling in a little bit at first base. Edwin is so, so odd. Like you said, he's a top 15 player since the break. I don't think it for Yankee fans, it'll ever really feel like, man, Edwin's a key cock, even though he is because he's just the way we acquired him, uh, all the other love for like the players that have been here. And you have to remind yourself like, damn, Edwin's really good. And he just kind of like somehow found his way into this lineup. It's it's very odd, but in a good way. I think we forget about it because of like everyone's wowing over like Gio Urshela, God and and DJ is God because of we've seen them the whole season and we've seen them transform from nobodies to superstars or, you know, MVP, whatever you want to call it um, throughout the whole season. But Edwin has has casually been like a really, really important part of this team for a long time since he since he joined. Uh, And I think, you know, we saw a little bit of that when he wasn't in the lineup when he was on the IL, we went through some pretty bad offensive stretches. Um, so I, I think that, you know, this, this was kind of like, I think it's, it's putting pressure, I think, on Luke Voigt to do better because he could see himself easily as the odd man out if he doesn't start to consistently put together good at-bats. We've seen him do it a couple games in a row now, but he really has to consistently get back to being that masher. Jim, that was that was a great point. The Edwin thing, getting him for Juan Then, like that Juan that, Thin. that, that <laughs> was kind of it. Just felt kind of quirky. And then, as Katie mentioned, he had that one slump that everyone kind of was uncomfortable with him for a while. Then he had the injury for a little bit. So it just feels like he's never dove in with this team. And like we have all the young guys that we're obviously enamored with and a lot of the players that we think are part of this Yankees, you know, future. And I don't know, it's almost like this sounds a little sports radio gossipy, but I don't know. I feel there's almost like a shadow from this offseason of where it was like, you know, this Yankees team might add like Harper or Machado or someone like that, and then it never happened. And then we got Edwin, and it's like, okay, yeah, he's good. I guess we'll throw him in the mix. Um and, yeah, he's just been overshadowed, and Katie comes out with stats like that, and you're like, this dude is not a piece of this team. He's a part of this team. He's he's going to finish with close to 35 home runs this season in somewhat limited action. Um, so, I don't know. I, uh, I could start gushing about Edwin all day because he – there's a little belly. He tries to get rid of the chin strap, yet sometimes it comes in even thicker. Jim, do you have any beard comments on that? Because I clearly don't know what's going on with that. Oh, I told you. He was someone told me he was a big advocate of laser hair removery, removing in Toronto. So his face is stuck like that. He doesn't grow facial hair in the other parts of his face. So he kind of just has that five o'clock shadow. He lasered the rest of his face off. That's it. Interesting. This isn't uh, one of those situations where I'm lying. Right. Uh, or making a joke. Yes. That's, uh, that's what happened. He lasered the rest of his face off into the chin strap so he didn't have to shave into the chin strap. Um, that's a, I mean, that. how much that speaks to my soul is scary. He, uh, IMD Laser Clinic Testimonials, Edwin Encarnacion, you can hear all about it on YouTube. I'll tell you how good, you know, he got his face lasered off. That's a. Uh, oh, there's I mean, videos be- of it happening. Oh, no. Oh, wow. Rabbit hole. Get Damn. out. Get out quickly. <laughs> yeah. If you're wondering why Edwin's face looks the way it does, <laughs> type in Edwin laser removal and watch the video on YouTube of him. His face, it looks like a pregnancy test where they put the goop on your belly and then they roll the thing around right. to see. Well, that's what they're doing, but to his face and just scorching off hair. That's Man. It. So, yeah, if you're if you're listening at your office right now, go go check that out. Show it. Show a neighbor. Um, wow. Edwin, a man, a man of my heart. Um and then, Katie, I, I don't know if you want to do this quick. I don't know if we want to lose ourselves in this, but it there's been an overlying conversation in Yankees land, and I'll, I'll go to you as our Talking Yanks analytics department, because right now there's the other people fighting for spots, for playing time potentially in the playoffs, barring no injuries and all that stuff, which we kind of joked before the show. I mean, 
these things kind of play themselves out a lot of the time. If it doesn't, I, I mean, are Jim and I kind of insane for being like, they're still going to run out Didi out there. He's the best defensive shortstop. Cause I mean, you know, Glaber can play short, and at the same time, Gio Urshela is still having, like, a special season, especially by a lot of the metrics, where Didi has been struggling for a lot of the year. So I, I don't know if you want analytics on this or your thoughts or a little of both. We're, we're open to it. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, just from my gut, I think that they're going to just keep running Didi out there. Um, I think that that's what the coaching staff wants to do. They... They feel like, you know, maybe the more experience that he keeps getting the rest of the season, maybe he'll be, somehow become a little bit more comfortable. He doesn't look good. I think what is keeping him in the lineup is that they really trust him at shortstop. Um, and they trust him maybe a little bit more than Gleber at shortstop. And I think that that is what is keeping him in the, you know, that's what's keeping his bat in the lineup, um, especially because his numbers versus lefties are pretty horrible. Um, it's not a big sample, but... Um, if there was any way that they were going to limit his playing time, they probably might platoon him, um, a little bit, uh, you know, use Glaber against lefties in, at shortstop. Uh, but, um, but yeah, my, my gut just says that they're just going to keep running him out there. Um, I think they trust him and they trust his experience level as well. Do you guys, do you guys think there's, I, I kind of just thought a bit about this. I've been scared to share it a little bit. In 2017, when we were heading into the playoffs, uh, I well, I want you guys to tell me if this is a fair comparison. And a couple of the names you're about to hear might scare you. But going into the 2017 playoffs, if you remember, Jacoby Ellsbury had a great September. Um, Jacoby Ellsbury kind of went off that September. And if you'll remember, Aaron Hicks had a pretty difficult second half of his season. We were kind of wondering if the Aaron Hicks show was real from the first half. We liked what we saw, but his his defense was electric. His arm was electric. Um, just a reminder, in September in 2017, Jacoby Ellsbury hit 337 with a 436 on base. Um, and Hicks had like a – he hit a 200 the second half. When it became playoff time, Hicks was in center field – because his defense mattered out there more than everything. I, I think there's some parallels to the Didi at shortstop situation because it may not seem glaring, but some of the plays Didi makes at shortstop, Glaber Torres can't make as of now. Yeah, and I think that, that was, that's a great point um, that, that, you just, uh, that you just made, Jake. Um, and I think it, that's, what it, that's what it's come down to. I mean, that, that has to be the reason because – Obviously, I, ideally, you'd want to have, you know, Geo, DJ, Glaber, um, you know, uh, Voight, Edwin, all of those guys in the lineup. Um, DD is clearly the weak link there. Uh, but, um, but I think with the defense, and defense matters. Defense definitely matters to this team. Defense matters to this, this coaching staff and, and, the, and the front office staff. Um, so I, that's, that's pretty much what I see uh, definitely, you know, going forward. Cool. Jim? I can't see Didi not in the lineup. I just can't. Maybe like an off day with a tough lefty, but uh, yeah, I just, it just, it just I, I try to think of it, and I just don't think they do that. So we'll see. I won't be too shocked, but I'd be a little like, damn, they really did it. Yeah, <laughs> it, it would. It would be wild to see a, a playoff game with Didi on the bench, um, especially with some of our recent postseason memories of him, but. We'll, uh, we'll step away from that, and again, like I know we, we talked about how there's only six series left. <laughs> a lot is going to happen in those six series. Uh, so, so we'll see what happens, and uh, if, if you're getting in debates on that on, on Twitter, don't, don't have your heart locked in. Don't, uh, don't make any frenemies out there because it, it might just figure itself out on its own. Um, now, Katie, I um, well, kind of your call. We, we dove into that deep. Do we? Do we want to do the split proof topic? Do we think we can we can accurately get that? Um, I don't know. We're kind of coming up on the on the game right here. Let's uh, table it. Can, uh, it's a good combo. We'll tease it for next time. Yeah, let's do it. Cuz that's uh well, that that is the ultimate teaser there cuz yeah, this this split proof topic um yeah, that's been our ace in the hole for a while. 
Um, and yeah, I think we just crushed that. So I, I mean, if we want to jump to the sharpest stat, Kate's, I don't, uh, if you want it, it's yours. Yeah. Yeah. Let's, let's do that. We'll, we'll keep the people talking. We'll keep the people wait, keep the people waiting for that, uh, for a, a bigger, a, a better discussion on what I like to call my hidden playoff stat. <laughs> Love that. The secret sauce. It's, it's the secret sauce, the playoff secret sauce, how we're making it. Ketchup, mayo, and relish. Here we go. So, yeah. So you'll have to wait. You'll have to tune in next week for that. Um, so be sure to set your alarms and everybody. Clear your schedules. But I am, I'm am i all ready for this uh, first out of the week. If you want to uh, play the music, do the intro, you know, give me give me the drum roll or whatever. <laughs> okay, yeah, you guys are good. Yeah, thanks. Okay. All right, I'll take it from please, here. Please shut up. <laughs> I'll, I'll take it from here. Um, so this week, I wanted to uh, give give some love to gotta be Geo the God. Um, we give him a lot of love, but I feel like I haven't recently. I've been on sort of that Mike Talkman, um, you know, Mike Talkman role and, uh, and DJ role and everything like that. I haven't mentioned Geo in a while. So we're going back to Geo. Who has, incidentally, I mentioned that Edwin stat um, about him being a top 15 player since the break. Well, uh, hello, Gio is a top three player, offensive player, um, in uh, weighted runs created plus, or or top five at least, maybe, um, since the All-Star break. So he has been even more ridiculous. Um, And one thing that I really wanted to point out to me, and I just, this was something I just came across with him when kind of looking at some of his splits. We all know that he has been fantastic with two strikes, right? That's kind of been his mode. One of the things that we, you know, his mojo is that you just, you can't get Gio out. He doesn't strike out because the dude just, he gets on base, he gets hits or whatever when he's getting that, those two strike counts. And I was looking at some of his other numbers. Not only is he phenomenal when he gets behind in the count. So I'm talking any, any time he's behind in the count, not just two strikes. He is also incredibly phenomenal when he gets ahead, so taking advantage of pitchers when he has the advantage in the count. Um, and this is this is actually pretty rare. It's rare for a player to be able to combine being both really good when behind or really good when ahead. Um, usually, you see one guy just um, you know good in one in either of those situations. So Gio Urshela right now. He has the eighth best OPS when behind in the count. Um, and uh, I can uh, pull up the number there for you. It is, um, let's go to it. Uh, where are we? Uh, here we go. So when behind in the count, he has a 811 OPS. Doesn't sound like tremendous, but that's actually really good. That's eighth best. When he's ahead in the count, he has a one dot. 301 OPS, which is tremendous, but you know, obviously, you, you, players are better when they're ahead in the count. So that is ranked 11th in the majors. So he's eighth in OPS when ahead and when behind in the count, and 11th in, when uh, when ahead in the count. Damn. Um, eighth and so, 11th. Yeah, very very good. So I looked at all players that have at least 100 plate appearances in each of those situations, and the only players that rank in the top 20 in both those categories are Gio and Christian Yelich. That's pretty so wild. Two, those are, that's pretty high. Like, I don't know. I mean, that's a cool one I, to me, Katie, cause being, being ahead in the counts. Awesome. Like I'm sure back in the day, Nick Swisher had great numbers. Uh, yeah. And that's not indicative of being like a hall of fame or anything because you know, when you're ahead in the count, you get fastballs and Tyler Austin's probably great when he's ahead in the count too. And mash fastballs, but being that good when you're behind in the count too means you can react to anything. You ha- you aren't a, like relying on being a guest hitter that much. It's like bring it. I'll just put it in play. I can change my approach. Um, so it's almost like he can mash when he can sit on something, and then he also can get things done when he's just straight reacting mode. I mean that is that's pretty cool. Top. That sounds like a pretty awesome player. Top 11 in both. Ahead in the yeah. count and behind the count. Jeez, have yeah, fun pitching to Gio Urshela. 
No one else is in top 20. You know, top 20 we're talking besides him and Yelich. So. That's a fun one. I like it. Jake, end it there. Send him home happy. Ty- Tyler Austin, a 1.1 when he's ahead in the count lifetime, when he's behind a 4.74 OPS. <laughs> um, so There you go. Yeah. Boom. I didn't even know those numbers, but he's like the clearest example of can yeah. mash fastballs, can't react. It it makes sense, and it, Jim. Do the only thing I want to uh, only thing I want to add is that when Katie Katie said after the All Star break how well Gio's been doing, Jim, you'll recall this from talking Yanks. Right around then is the first time Gio dunked under three hundred in a while. Um, so this was middle of July. He had been over three hundred. Um, I mean, basically since the end of April. And you and I kind of looked at each other, and I, I think I even gave an award that was like, this is kind of fight-or-flight time for Gio because if you keep going under 300, it's like, oh, the magic wore off and it's over. Or you fight back and prove that you belong. It, I mean, I, I just want to reiterate kind of what Katie was saying. In, in 44 games since the All-Star break, he's hitting 370 with a 1.083 OPS and 12 homers, there's a little inflation there. Back-to-back games, he hit two home runs, uh, Baltimore and then uh, Toronto. Um, but, man, I mean, that's – it's insane. It's he, insane. Has a six, he has a 691 slugging in the second half of the season. It's pretty good. And just to update you, Nick Swisher, ahead in the count, 1.075 OPS behind – 499 OPS career. So I always compared those two players for that very reason. I'd never check the stats to see if it was accurate or not, or if I was talking out my butt. Turns out I knew what I was saying. Great. Good news for me. It's a win. Little column A, little column B. No, um, all column A, Jake, being I'm the best. No, I'm t- the people on the podcast, have, they can't see you're doing the Jim Carrey talking out your butt right now. So I'm just trying to paint <laughs> the picture at home. Um, Thank you. Guys. Thank you. KT, we uh, we missed you last week, and you you completely brought it. This was awesome. Uh, thank you so much, Katie Sharp. You guys know me and John Boy's one rule: tweet at Katie Sharp, thank her, the queen of stats, and follow her on Twitter. Uh, she's the best. Um, John Boy, anything else? Go Yanks. Go Yanks. Uh, we'll see you Let's after go the Tigers Yanks. win tomorrow. Hope you enjoy this and a uh, voicemail episode coming tomorrow right yep tomorrow today whatever today tomorrow thursday 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 all right go yanks go yankees